the Gospel of John was written by, anyone want to take a guess? John. First John was written by, anyone want to take a guess? John. Okay, same guy. So John writes in his gospel about the life of Jesus. John writes in, his, in these three letters in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John to a church, a, a group of new Christians, of young Christian. And then the same author, John, writes the book of Revelation where he talks about basically God wins, right? He talks about all this stuff and, and how, how uh, he reveals how God wins. And in this letter, in 1 John, uh, in, in chapter 5, verse 13, we're going to be in chapter 1 today, but in chapter 5, he's, he says why he's writing this letter. And it'll be on the screen behind me. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, with that in mind, does anyone remember how Jesus described eternal life? You see, what's interesting is Jesus didn't talk about the things that often we talk about. Jesus didn't talk about streets of gold and pearly gates and harps and singing and floating on clouds and all that stuff, right? Jesus didn't talk about any of that stuff. Jesus, when he talked about or when he described eternal life, John recorded his words for us. And in John seventeen three, Jesus said these words, now this is eternal life. That they may know you, talking about God, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So Jesus is talking about heaven. He's talking about about how this this all works out. And, And here he says, at the end of the day, the point of life is that you were created to know God personally. That, that's what this whole thing is about. And that's what the Bible means by eternal life, is knowing God. That is what brings eternal life. The Bible, in all it says, it's all written for us so that we can know that it's possible for you and me to know and to have a relationship with Jesus. So John writes this letter to this church. And in 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, he writes these words. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands, have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it, and we testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So John is, is writing here and he's saying, I want you to know. I want you to know because we know. And I want to share with you what we know so that you can know Jesus. And so you can have that relationship. So you can know the Father. So that you can have confidence in the person of Jesus Christ so that you can know God. And I think that's important for a couple of different reasons. One, if you're a believer here this morning, it's important Because being assured and having confidence that God is who he says he is and that God is in your life, it allows you to have have strength and to be strong no matter what life throws your way. And it doesn't mean life is always going to be easy, but it does mean that if you're a believer and you have God, you know that he's going to be with you and you can make it through. I think the second reason it's important today is that maybe you're not a believer, and if you're not... You, you may be here today just to kind of check out this whole church thing. You decided that, you know, you really didn't want to do yard work, so you came to church instead. Or maybe somebody forced you to come today. But whatever the reason, John writes this letter, and I think one of the reasons he does is so that you and I can, can know the plans that God has for your life. 
And especially if you're a, a non-believer, God wants you, through this book, to catch a glimpse of His plan. To catch a glimpse of His dreams and hopes for you so that you can know Him. God loves you, and He doesn't want you to go through your life or your day, your, your week, your, your month, anything, being uncertain about where you stand with Him. He wants you to build your life on His foundation to experience the joy and the life that He has in store for you. And that life does include joy. Look at verse 4. Look at what John writes. He says, we write this to make our joy complete. If you hear nothing else this morning and you're going to check out in just a second, then hear this. God is for you. He is for your joy. He desires a relationship with you, and He wants you to have joy in your life. Not happiness, which is so fleeting, but joy, a true joy that can only come from Him. And I think we find that joy when we make our goals and our purposes and our dreams His. And we adopt His in our life. Because I believe once we catch a glimpse of what God wants to do in our life, what His hopes and plans and dreams are for our life, that our dreams They're microscopic in comparison because his ways are so much greater and grander and better for you. He is for your joy. And with that tone, John writes this letter. He writes this letter to the believers and he writes it to us as well so that that we can have confidence. And I want to point out just a couple of things that I think we can do to stand confident. There are some things that, that John points out that we need to see. The first one is this, and I invite you to follow along in your bulletin and just fill in a few blanks as we roll through this this morning. The first one, God is light. Look at verse 5. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. You see, we understand this concept of Uh, light and dark, uh, of good and bad. Uh, For example, if your child, parents, if your child comes home and says they need to start dressing in the latest fashions, you know, you kind of roll with it because that's society and that's culture, right? Just kind of, okay, here we go. But if your child comes home and says, I'm going to start dressing in all black, you call your therapist, right? Because we understand how, how those things can go. We, we understand and, and we know darkness and light. In the same way, religions all throughout history have used this metaphor of darkness and light. And how darkness represents evil and a lack of truth. And how light represents beauty and goodness and truth. But, but when you look at the God of the Bible, when you look at how he uses this idea of light, unlike any other religion, light has two very distinct purposes which sets it apart from all the other religions. Since God is light, it means a couple of things. It means that God has made himself known. Think about it. From the very beginning, God has been making himself known. He walked in the garden with Adam and Eve, right? In Psalm 119, verse 105, David writes this about God. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. It illuminates where he he walks. His word reveals to us who God is, his character, and it allows us to walk with him. We see the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 42 stating that the Messiah would be a light unto the nations. He would reveal to the nations the righteousness of God. The Messiah would be the one to reveal the character of God so that people could see him and they could know him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6, Paul writes this about Jesus. He says, for God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of the glory of, the, of God in the face of of Christ. Paul is saying that God, through Jesus, 
has enabled us to know who he is, to see him revealed, to catch a glimpse of his majesty and his glory and the power that we saw demonstrated through Jesus Christ. And that's how we see God. And, and I tell people all the time, if you want to get to know God, then you get to know Jesus And if you don't know where to start, I encourage people to read the Gospel of John and you look at how Jesus interacted with people. You look at how he was more concerned with relationships than anything else and you see how he treated people with dignity and respect. He came for us, for people. That was his mission for you and and for me. He is all about the individual. No matter where you live, no matter what you do, no matter who you are, he came for you. And so, by his nature, God is a self-revealing God. He is not hiding from you. He, he desires to know you. John writes that God is light, that he is perfect, that he is pure. A, a word used to describe God in the scriptures often is the word holy. It's the only attribute of God that's given to the third power that's repeated three times. He's holy, holy, holy. And, and what it means to be holy is to be exalted or worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. Now, when you think about being described as holy, the question I have for you is this. How many of you would use the description of holy to describe your spouse? Okay, what about yourself? We don't use the word holy, do we? Because we are so far removed from being holy. Only God is holy. And John writes this letter. He wants us to to get a glimpse of, of how holy God truly is. God is light, and in him there is no darkness. And because he is light, God is incompatible with sin. He just cannot be with sin. He, God, God is incompatible with the evil in our world and in our lives. And consequently, this is where a lot of people take issue with God. When you start talking about how God cannot stand sin or he's incompatible with sin. Our society today has come to the point where we're only interested in a God of love. We're interested in a God who just loves everybody. We're not interested in a God of justice. The desire is that we have a benevolent God who will just kind of look the other way and will just kind of laugh it off. A God who will love everyone and would never punish anyone for their sins. But, but I want to push back against that for just a, a few moments. I heard a friend of mine ask this question, and I propose this question to you as well. If you're loving and worshiping a God who does not hate evil, is he really a God worth worshiping? Think about that for just a second. If you are worshiping, if you're loving and worshiping a God who does not hate evil, is he really a God worth worshiping? If you're worshiping a God who is ambivalent toward the broken lives of people, if he's ambivalent to relationships, and if he's just okay with a lack of hope and with sin and with evil, is he really God? Is he worthy of your attention? Is he worthy of your devotion? Is he worthy of you coming here and spending your time on a Sunday morning? I would suggest he's not. I just, I just can't see where he would be. You see, I want to worship a God who hates evil. I want to worship a God who hates evil when it's done to me. I want to worship a God who hates evil when it's done to other people. That's the type of God I want to worship. A God who wants to identify with me in my hurt. God who wants to identify in my pain. I want a God who is light, not a God who is darkness. And I would guess you do as well. You see, John is telling us that if God is only a God of love, then it's his job to accept people. And when you have to do something versus choosing to do something, it's a duty or it's an obligation. 
It's not love. If God has to love because that's his job, then his love can truly never bring you joy. It just can't. I illustrate it like this. Uh, my wife's love, love language is gifts, okay? One of the best things I can do for her is to surprise her with some little something. doesn't really matter what it is. Candy bar, a cup of coffee, flour, something. The cost doesn't matter. It's the thought and the gift that counts, right? And so uh, imagine this scenario with me. Um, I, I take whatever I have. I've stopped and bought flowers, let's say, and I have my flowers, and I walk through the door, and I present them to Michelle, and she's all happy, right, because I've thought of her, and I've, I'm speaking her love language, and, and I give her these flowers, and while she's thanking me and enjoying uh, these flowers that I brought to her, I respond with this. Well, since I'm your husband, it's my job. It's my obligation to bring you stuff like this. Ladies, how's that going to go over? Right? Boo, right? Um, I think it's safe to say that the joy and the love and the appreciation would be gone. Right? Because if you have to do it, it's one thing. But if you get to do it, if you choose to do it, it's something far greater. I think one of the reasons you and I struggle with God's holiness It's the same reason that when you leave here today, you're not going to go out and stare directly at the sun. Because the sun is is blinding, right? And God's holiness is blinding for us. In fact, the scripture tells us that, that when people encounter God's holiness, they are in awe. And oftentimes they try to move away from God, right? They want to, they want to get far away because God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. Number two. Second thing I think John wants us to see is not only is God light, but we are sinners. Not only do we see this in 1 John, but we also see this throughout the Bible. For example, in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah sees God high and lifted up, and he says, you know what? It's over. I am doomed. I am ruined. I am finished. In Job chapter 42, we see Job saying, before I'd only heard of your glory, God, but now I have seen it with my eyes, and I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. In, in Luke chapter 5, uh, Peter sees Jesus' power when he provides them with a large catch of fish. And, and Peter gets out of the boat and goes to the shore and he falls down at Jesus' feet and he says, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. When we draw near to the, to the holiness and the glory of God, our tendency is to run. We don't like to be in the presence of a holy God because when we stand in his light, it illuminates the darkness in our life. And we don't like that darkness. We, we like to have something that's a little more comfortable, right? We don't like the bright light. We want something that's more manageable. And we don't want a God who's really going to shine his light into our life and reveal our sin. We would really rather have something more manageable. What we try to do is make a God who, who looks and thinks and acts just a little bit more like us. Because that's more comfortable for us. But here's what I believe. I believe unless we're honest about God and his holiness that we will never fully understand his great love for us. How even though we are flawed, our perfect God 
desires. He chooses to be in relationship with us. How even though we sin and there's darkness in our life, he desires to shine his light into our life to reveal those things to us. And as he reveals them to us, he gives us his grace and his love and his mercy every day of our life. But the hard part is we don't like to stand in the light. Even though we may know he's going to give us his grace and his love and his mercy, we don't like to stand in the light because it reveals our sin. And we don't like our sin to be revealed. We prefer to walk in the shadows with just enough light that we can see, but not so much that it's going to reveal anything or that we have to make any changes or it makes us feel uncomfortable. And yet look at what John writes in verse 6. He says this, If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. When John wrote this letter, there were some who believed that since God had saved them, they could do pretty much whatever they wanted. It was as if God's grace provided them a license to sin because, hey, God's going to cover us. But here John confronts that by saying, if you claim to be in fellowship with him, you cannot continue to walk in spiritual darkness. You just can't keep doing the same thing. Now, it doesn't mean we're not going to sin. In fact, in verse 10, John writes these words, If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. He's not saying that as believers, we're going to you know, live perfect lives and never sin. He's pointing out that, that light and darkness cannot be in the same spot. In the same way, we cannot have a growing relationship with God and willfully walk in the darkness. And here's why this is important. Uh, Michelle and I have been married 19 and a half years, but, but here's the deal. If I don't love her, if I don't pursue her and honor her, but instead I lie to her and I deceive her and I ignore her and I withhold my love from her, then we don't have a marriage. We may have a marriage certificate. We may have some, some good memories, some fun times, but at, at best we simply live together. It's impossible for me to ignore these things in my life and in my relationship with Michelle simply because she said yes on our wedding day. And in the same way, it's impossible for us to walk in fellowship with God and willfully walk in disobedience and rebellion and sin. Jesus' holiness is incompatible with our sin, and something has to change. Light and dark cannot occupy the same space. Being a believer doesn't mean that you don't sin. Uh, don't, don't misunderstand. But it does mean that we accept him, and we pursue him, and we desire him. We want his wants and hopes and dreams for our life, instead of our own selfish tendencies that we have in our life. And when his light comes into our life, what happens to the darkness? It's chased away. And as we draw closer to him, we become more aware of our sin, and suddenly we realize that, you know what, there's not just a couple of areas of my life that I need to kind of turn over to God. I need to surrender to him everything. We need to give him all that we have. And the reason we become aware of those things in our, in our life is because of his light in our life. He is the light, and he will illuminate the darkness in our life. So if you're a believer here this morning, I have a, a few questions for you. Is there any change that's taking place in your life? I ask myself uh, these questions often, and I'm going to ask you to, to ask them of yourself as well. Would you personalize them? Would you say these questions to yourself? Do I love Jesus more than I did a year ago? Do I love Jesus more today than I did a month ago? More than I did last week. More than I did yesterday. 
Ask yourself this question. Do I hate sin more? Do I love others more? Do I serve others? Do I extend grace? Do I extend the type of grace that I receive from God or do I have a double standard? That's a question I ask myself often. And it's a revealing question. Do I extend the grace I've received from God to others or do I have a double standard? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who lost his life in World War II, wrote these words about grace. He said, Cheap grace is the grace we bestow upon ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Bonhoeffer writes that cheap grace, it's an imitation. It's not the real thing. I read where someone wrote, cheap grace will neither overwhelm you with its beauty nor transform you with its power. And I think that is so true because it's cheap. Unless we view the grace in light of his perfection of Jesus Christ, it's going to be cheapened both in our acceptance of it and our distribution of it as well. So, how many of you are very, very encouraged at this point? (laughs) Man, it's really rough when you start thinking about how God is light and we are sin and those two are incompatible. It's not a lot of hope there, but I'm glad that's not where it ends. Point number three that, that I want to bring out to you today is, is this. Jesus cleanses us. Don't miss this message of hope that John shares. Jesus cleanses us. Look at verses 7 and verse 9. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful and he is just and he will forgive and he will purify or as some versions say, he will cleanse. When you look at the first part of verse 9, there's a couple words there. Faithful and just. We need to understand that God is faithful and he will forgive us of our sins. But we also need to remember, and this is where a lot of people like to just ignore this part, but he is just. And as a judge, he will be a just judge. And as a just judge would do, he's going to look at the evidence and pass down a judgment. That's what we would want a judge to do, right? We want a judge to be just and to do those things. Think about it. If there was a judge who was not being just, if they looked the other way when someone was guilty, or if they took bribes on the side, we would say he or she is a corrupt judge, and they need to be removed from their position of authority. But God is a just judge. But instead of making us pay for the wrongs, he paid the price for us. The prophet Isaiah described the Messiah, the one who would pay the price for us like this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Don't miss this. And the Lord has laid on him, on the Messiah, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all, the sins of all of us. The amazing thing is God is not a God who takes bribes and looks the other way. Instead, he sent his one and only son to the cross so that you and I could have the price paid for us because the sin demands payment, and he made it for us. 
That is amazing grace. That's, that's love like you have never experienced before. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ went to the cross and he died. He became darkness itself. And when he did, the wrath that was supposed to be poured out on you and on me was instead, instead paid out, poured out on Jesus Christ there on the cross. He took it. And for the first time there on the cross, he was separated from the presence of his father. Matthew chapter 27 tells us that the whole land went dark, that Jesus had always been in the light of God. And when darkness came over the land, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, God, why have you forsaken me? He took on our sin. And he did it so that you and so that me, so that we all could be in relationship with God. And it could be that you came in here today and life is falling apart around you and there's not a lot of hope. Maybe you feel like it's not possible for you to receive what Jesus is offering to you. But the truth is this, God is faithful and he is just not only to forgive you, but to purify you and to cleanse you and to heal you and to draw you close into a relationship like you've never experienced before. And you know what it takes? The first part of verse 9, three words, if we confess. I know there's, there's a lot of things we could talk about, but I, I think this is one that we just need to land on for just a minute. If we will own our sin, if we will call it what it is, if we will acknowledge it before God who is faithful and just, he will forgive us and he will purify us from our sins. Now, I, I know that some of you may have had a, a bad experience with this practice of confession. I've talked to to people who are, honestly, they're just kind of afraid to confess because of their perception of what it means to confess. But let me encourage you with this. Confession is not an obligation. It's not a religious thing that you have to do because doing something out of obligation is not love. Confession is a gift from God. He says, come to me. Tell me what's on your heart. Confess to me. And I am faithful and just. It's an opportunity for us to to experience him and to draw near to him and to step into his light and into his power, which is to bring healing and forgiveness and cleansing and will flood our life with his light and, and cleanse us from the darkness of our souls. We need to confess. It's a gift. It's an opportunity. It's not an obligation. And we need to do it. So, so how do we put this into practice? How do we confess? Now, just real confession. <laughs> There's several of you, many of you out here that could probably teach somebody like me a lot about confession because you've done it a lot more than I have. But there's some things that I want to share about confession that I think are true. And I think that if we will apply these things to our life, it will allow us to experience the light of God more richly and more deeply in our life and the darkness will flee and we will be overcome with his power and his joy. I want to offer four steps as we attempt to implement this practice of confession in our life. First one is this. We need to agree with God. We just simply need to agree with God. Let him be our standard. Let him be the benchmark. Let him be the one that that is right, and we need to agree with him. He is the light, and we walk in darkness apart from him. And we need to ask him as the light to illuminate our darkness in our life, And when he does, we simply need to agree that it's sin. And we need to call it what it is. We need to call it sin and acknowledge it 
before the Lord. We just need to agree with him. The second thing is this. We need to be specific. We need to be specific. Now, if you're anything like me, I'm pretty good at confessing when I can be real general. Dear God, please forgive me of my shortcomings today. Amen. Right? Glad that's over. When what I should be doing is being specific, you know, God, do you forgive me for my lack of understanding, my lack of patience? Do you forgive me for my words that I chose to use, for my attitude, for putting my plans and my hopes and my dreams ahead of yours, for looking at people as an interruption instead of an opportunity? God, would you forgive me for my pride and my arrogance? God, would you forgive me for trying to make it about me instead of making it about you? What's the specific thing that you need to confess? How do you, how do, you do that? You just simply talk to God and you be specific and you lay it out there and, and you say what it is and you call it what it is and it's, it's a sin and, and I would suggest that when you do that, when you're specific and when you call it out by name, there's transforming power there because you're finally calling it what it is and, and you're, you're acknowledging it and you're, you're recognizing it in yourself and you're saying it to God and, and there's accountability there with Him and, and there can be transformation when you confess your sins specifically, individually, before the Lord. Number three, we need to claim His promise. We need to have confidence that we walk in the light. We have a relationship with God, and and as we confess our sins, he does not hold them against us, but instead he is working with us and through us and drawing us closer to him so that we can be closer to him and draw closer to other people. We have hope because of he is the one who grabs a hold of us, and as he grabs a hold of us, we have the promise that he will not let us go. We can have confidence and claim his promise. And number four, after you agree with God, after you call the sin by name and after you claim his promise that you've received through Jesus Christ, you have to make a change. You repent of your sin. You turn around. You go in a different direction because to continue to do the same thing over and over again is like what we talked about a few weeks ago when we talked about playing the sorry game with God, right? We just keep doing the same thing again and again and again. Proverbs chapter 26 verse 11 says, As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen a dog do that. Man, that's not a pretty sight, is it? And I would suggest the same is true for us. When we return to our sin, it's not a pretty sight. And I want to challenge you today to make a change, to do something different, to allow God's transforming power to come into your life and to make your life different so that you can have not just a life here on earth, but a life to the full, both here that blends into eternity. And if you find that you return to your folly, then you confess it. You agree with God. You're specific. You claim his promise and you claim his presence and his forgiveness and the cleansing. And then you start walking in a new life. You get people around you that can help hold you accountable and you do things in a different way. You make a change. It's my prayer that you will allow God to speak to you through his word to understand that that he is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And as we draw close to him, he reveals himself to us. And we have hope. We have his peace. We have his presence. We have his, his love and his justice and his mercy in our life. 
would you allow his light to shine into your life? We want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord. Maybe this morning, what you need to do more than anything else is just say, hey, it's, it's time for me to stop walking in darkness and move to him so that his light can reveal my life. Maybe today you just need to, to get it right with him and, and start walking with him. Maybe you want someone to pray with you or to encourage you or just help hold you accountable because you keep returning to your folly again and again. Make a change. Do something different. Allow God to work through you. Rely on his power and his strength to change you. I'm going to invite you to respond to the Lord. If you want to talk to someone, there's going to be people over here on this side of the auditorium by the cross that would would just love to just take a moment and pray with you and encourage you. And if you want to talk to someone, we invite you to make your way over there. Stand with me. We're going to sing this song together. You respond to the Lord this morning.